Welcome to the John Brown University Chapel Podcast, recorded in the historic Cathedral of the Ozarks in Salem Springs, Arkansas. This week's chapel speaker was Tracy Balzer. Mrs. Balzer is Director of Christian Formation at John Brown University. Okay, so we're continuing today in our uh, walk through the book of 1 Timothy. Dr. Pollard and our chaplain Keith have taken us through the first chapter, and so today we will look at, wait for it, chapter two. Actually, just actually, just the first part, just, just a very few verses, seven verses. You see it now on the screen. And so uh, I invite you to listen as I read and prayerfully receive the word of God. This is Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and acceptable before God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, There is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in this short passage, these seven verses, I'm going to offer up two key words, just two, that I want us to sort of zero in on. And the first word, you might be able to guess, the first word is prayer. Now, I imagine that that word prayer incites all kinds of reactions and feelings among us, maybe even within you. I have long appreciated this book by Richard Foster uh, called Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. Some of you in this room went through this book with me last spring in the Christian Formation class. It's been a really important one to me as I have sought to learn about prayer and not just about, but how to pray. But I like how he sort of gives this this really generous description of all the different ways that we might find ourselves responding to this idea of prayer, this practice of prayer. He says, first of all, he states, the key to this home, this heart of God, is prayer. Perhaps you have never prayed before except in anguish or terror. It may be that the only time the divine name has been on your lips has been in angry expletives. Never mind. I'm here to tell you that the Father's heart is open wide. You're welcome to come in. Perhaps you do not believe in prayer. You may have tried to pray and were profoundly disappointed and disillusioned. You seem to have little faith or none. Well, it does not matter. The Father's heart is open wide. You are welcome to come in. 
Perhaps you are bruised and broken by the pressures of life. Others have wronged you and you feel scarred for life. You have old painful memories that have never been healed. You avoid prayer because you feel too distant, too unworthy, too defiled. Do not despair. The Father's heart is open wide. You are welcome to come in. Perhaps you have prayed for many years, but the words have grown brittle and cold. Little ever happens anymore. God seems remote and inaccessible. Listen to me. The Father's heart is open wide. You are welcome to come in. Or perhaps prayer is the delight of your life. You have lived in the divine milieu for a long time and can attest to its goodness. But you long for more, more power, more love, more of God in your life. Believe me, the Father's heart is open wide. You too are welcome to come higher up and deeper in. Well, I have been in and out of each of those phases throughout my life some more profoundly than others. And, and throughout the ups and downs of learning about prayer and learning how to connect with God in effective ways, friends have certainly helped. They've been super important. Pastors have helped. Books have definitely helped. And one thing that really helped that I only sort of realized maybe many years later is that when I was in your space in college, a Christian university, much like JBU, I had space for an elective, and I chose a class called the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It was taught by a, uh, a professor that I greatly admired. And I was eager to learn about the Holy Spirit, but I didn't know that this class would also help me grow in my understanding of prayer. So I learned that the Holy Spirit has many roles, and I'm happy to talk to you about this because I feel like the Holy Spirit, of the three members of the Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit doesn't get a lot of attention, of, of attention in, in our circles. So let me just list just a few of the roles that I learned and remember yet today that the Holy Spirit plays. So one is the Spirit is known as the paraclete. Greek for the one who comes alongside us. And John the Apostle, as we talked about last semester, recorded Jesus' promise to the disciples that he would ask the Father and he would give them another advocate to help them, to help us, and that that advocate would be with them forever, the Holy Spirit. Also, the Spirit convicts us of sin, a sort of uber conscience that points out when we have strayed from God's wills from God's will and his desires for us. The Spirit also dwells within all believers, making us sort of a walking, talking temple of the holy. The Spirit guides us, the Spirit gives us discernment so that we might know the ways of God, the ways of wisdom. And the Spirit cultivates fruit in us that can bless the world. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What helped me though, in the ways uh, of prayer in all my ups and downs, is that the Spirit actually prays through us. The Spirit prays through us. 
Romans 8.26 states it clearly that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. One of the most valuable bits of wisdom I ever received, and I think this was during the days that Carrie was in seminary, and I think I was uh, auditing a class on uh, prayer at that time, that whenever we pray, it's not a bad idea to invoke the Holy Spirit's help, to trust that the Holy Spirit will actually do the praying through us, that we might better know how to pray according to the will of God. So here's the role of the Holy Spirit. We are told that this is what the Spirit does. And so what Paul is urging Timothy to do here in this urgent plea for prayer is actually possible. It's actually possible to pray in this way. And he goes on to give him some specific direction. He says, and so here are the kinds of prayer that I urge. And some of these words are probably familiar to you. So I'll review them briefly. Supplications, he says, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. So review, supplications, that's a word we don't use that often, but you might've grown up. If you grew up in church, you might've heard that word. It basically refers to that heartfelt pleading that we bring to God on all manner of things, supplications. The word prayers he uses in this collection, it's just sort of a general catch-all that Paul sort of throws in sort of an awkward place, honestly, in the list, but we'll let that slide. The word intercessions, you know that word, refers to the times we come to God on behalf of someone else and their needs. We step in for them. And and often I have referred, I have talked to you um, either in person or maybe up here on this stage about how my favorite example of what intercession is, that wonderful gospel story about how Jesus talking in a crowd of people in a house, no one can get in. And the people really wanting to get in are our friends who are carrying their paralytic friend desperate to get him to Jesus. And so they go up to the roof and they mash a hole in the roof and they lower him down before Jesus. And I love it how that passage in Luke, we don't even get what are the words that they say. They don't say, hey, Jesus, could you please heal this person of their paralysis? They just lower him to Jesus knowing that he will know exactly the right thing to do. I love that image, and I use it often in my own prayers as I think about people I know who are hurting and suffering that I want to pray for. And finally, oh, wait, I have a story, though, about intercession. This is just kind of one of those funny things that it's really good that my oldest daughter isn't here. I, don't, like, I can't believe that, Paul, that uh, Dr. Paul used to pay his children like to use their stories. I never thought about that. It's probably good. I'd be very poor because <laughs> um, uh, I use their stories a lot. So Kelsey was our oldest, and she was maybe four, a very precocious child. And uh, I had been struggling, suffering with just a nasty head cold, and I was like resting on the living room couch one day, and she came up to me and sweetly snuggled next to me and said, Mommy, I prayed for you. Oh, my heart just grew three times that day. Wonderful. She said, yes, I prayed for you. I asked God to take away your cold and give it to the bad guys. (laughs) I 
will say nothing about how well or not well I've been teaching my daughter how to pray. <laughs> and finally, Paul tells Timothy to pray with thanksgivings. And, and, and that's no mystery here. We know what thanksgiving is. But just because we understand what thanksgiving is doesn't mean that we live it out. Doesn't mean that we submit to it or participate in it. Uh, one of my favorite people on the planet right now is Mako Fujimura, a famous artist. And he talks about, I heard him talk, this was last year, about the difference between understanding and standing under. With regard to Thanksgiving, understanding is knowing what it is rationally, but that understanding doesn't automatically mean that we aren't still habitual whiners and complainers. But to stand under thanksgiving is to humbly submit to its call. To not just say thank you, but to be a thankful person. Standing under the call to offer thanksgiving not only changes the way we pray, it changes the way we live. We become thankful people. Okay, so we have that list of, of ways to pray. Then in this passage, Paul gets specific who to pray for. And if you guys want to call up, there you go. Thank you. Who to pray for in these first verses? Kings, he says. What is interesting about this is that at the time that Paul and Timothy were ministering, this was later in Paul's life, the nefarious and infamous Nero was on the throne, the Roman throne. And it was Nero who was ultimately responsible for the martyrdom of both Paul and Peter, just a few years after Paul wrote this letter. Why would Paul ask Timothy to pray for someone like that? Well, he goes on to say, and you see it here, so that, a good indication that here comes the reason, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. Now, at first glance, we might think this prayer is about us so that we can live this way. And it is, it is about us. Um, we should pray for our authorities because we desire to live in quietness and freedom, specifically in religious freedom. And I'm guessing there are some of you in this room who come from countries where that is not uh, as available to you as it is for us here. So we want that, we desire it. But why does Paul say we should pray for it? Not just for our own comfort, but he says, so that we might live in all godliness and dignity. Okay, so pray for a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. Two things that kind of go together, peaceable and quiet, and godliness and dignity. Now you remember last week when Keith was up here talking, he talked about godliness. He said, this is a major theme that we will see in this book throughout the semester. And remember he said, godliness, it might be sort of a, an inaccessible word to us. It sounds like something unachievable to be like God. 
But he said, really what it means is patience. Godliness equals patience. And likewise, we want to live, Paul says, in dignity. Well, what does that mean? It might help to look at some other translations that translate this word as holiness. So godliness and patience, dignity and holiness. These are the outward expressions, the outward results of having the gift of a quiet and peaceable life. These are the outward evidences of the redemptive work of Christ in our lives. Now here in the US, our religious freedom is protected by the US Constitution. And we should therefore treasure that freedom in godly and patient ways. And we should demonstrate our faith in dignified and holy ways. So how might our culture, our communities, our families respond if we as Christians shared our lives with others with godly patience and holy dignity? It's worth asking. I think the potential response, and this is ultimately why Paul is urging this, is that everyone would be attracted to the truth of the gospel. If we lived in, in godliness and patience and dignity and holiness, not perfectly, but if that was our overarching effect on the culture, everyone would be interested. And Paul states clearly here, when he says in that verse, this is right and acceptable before God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yes, that quiet, peaceable life is not just for us. It is so that everyone might come to the knowledge of the truth. So the first key word I gave you is prayer. And what you might be getting the idea now that the second word is everyone. Everyone. I want you to look on this screen and see how often that word appears in this passage. You can also look for the word all. Okay, so uh, I urge the supplications be made for everyone, for kings and those who are in high positions, that we might lead a quiet, peaceful life in godliness and dignity. This is right before God who desires everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Everyone. Two years ago, I was in a conversation with two friends, Christians, and one of those friends was very vocal about their political position. Oh, doesn't that just make you cringe just a little bit? No matter what your, the position is, whenever someone is very vocal about it, we all just like, oh no, please don't let this go badly. And it happened to be a presidential election, and this was a number of years ago, so don't go start you know, figuring out who's who a number of years ago. And this particular person, there were three of us in the conversation, but one of them being very adamant and vocal about their position also said that it absolutely cannot happen that this particular candidate must not 
that, that it cannot happen that that person be elected as president. The other person in the conversation said, well, if they do, we will pray for them. The adamant person responded, well, I'm definitely not gonna pray for them. His resistance troubled me. I don't think he realized that in not praying for the president that he didn't want to be in that role, by not praying for that president, he was, in effect, not praying for anyone. Paul and Timothy lived under the rule of the tyrannical Nero, but Paul clearly does not give Timothy an out because Jesus does not give any of us an out. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Your heavenly Father who is godly. Your heavenly Father who is holy. This is what we are called to. Paul, a good student of his teacher, Jesus, tells his student, Timothy, to pray for all leaders to pray that they would govern in ways that allow every person, everyone, to have the opportunity to hear the gospel of truth. So we too are going to take time today to pray as Paul urged Timothy. We may not be pastors of churches like Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. But we have now have the Holy Spirit, like Timothy did. And every one of us is an influencer. Every one of us can be and can can welcome and and seek out that godly and holy life. Every one of us can pray even when you don't feel like it. And you know why? Because if you are a follower of Jesus, no matter how inept or disconnected you might feel right now, you have the Holy Spirit living in you who is absolutely delighted to do the praying through you. That even in silence, the Holy Spirit is praying, will pray for you. And the Holy Spirit will continue to teach you how to pray. Not because God has an expected level of expertise in your praying, but because 
God wants everyone, and that includes you. He wants you. And prayer, as Foster said, is the key to God's heart. So I invite you to pray with me now. We're going to take some time to pray as Paul has called us to pray. Please bow your heads and join me. Father God, you know our hearts well. You know whether we come to you with a heart that is full and eager for more of you or with a heart that feels a bit dull and lifeless. You know these students. You know the concerns that they carry. You know the burdens they carry for themselves, for their families, for their friends. But in all cases, Lord, whether we feel like praying or not, we come to you grateful for the assistance of the Holy Spirit as we pray, knowing, confident that he will help us pray even when we do not know what to say. So in the following moments of silence, Lord, we pour out our hearts to you in this supplication that Paul urges of us. Lord, in your mercy, we pray that you would hear our deepest desires, that you would hear our worries, that you would listen to and respond to the requests for your help in our lives. In these moments of silence, Lord, we now offer you our intercessions. Today, we pray together, especially for the rulers of this country, specifically for President Joe Biden and for Vice President Kamala Harris. We pray for our Arkansas governor, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. We pray for all who faithfully serve on the Siloam Springs City Board. Lord, would you grant them wisdom, grant them compassion, and grant them a commitment to justice for all. And by so doing, would you pave the way for the good news so that everyone, everyone, would have the opportunity to receive the new and abundant life that you offered them through Jesus Christ. Hear our prayers of intercession, Lord.
And finally, Lord, we give you thanks. As Paul and so many of your faithful saints have taught us through the ages, we give you thanks for life, for breath, for the opportunity to be here together, worshiping in this place, a community of faith, a break in our day that is so busy and filled with so many good things, and yet we step aside to say thank you, Lord. Thank you, for you are good. We thank you for the joy of friendships, for the way they enrich our lives and challenge us to follow you more faithfully. We thank you for your faithful provision in every way and that whether or not we have just exactly what we need monetarily or materially, that in the end, you, O oh Lord, are all we need and that ultimately we know you will provide. So thank you for that. We thank you for the beauty of the changing seasons that reminds us of your constant attention to us and to the world around us and for your goodness. We thank you for your goodness. May that goodness take root in each of us so that we might be good to each other. In these moments of silence, Lord, hear our words of thanksgiving. So with grateful hearts, we offer these things in faith and in the name of the Father who is good, of the Son who is faithful, and of the Spirit who is ever-present. Amen. JBU, may you go in peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of the John Brown University Chapel Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, and we'd love it if you'd leave us a review.